You're listening to an episode of Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, the podcast dedicated to honest conversations with educators about what they do and, more importantly, who they are. I'm your host, John LeMay, and I'm here to highlight the complex and rich lives led by teachers with diverse interests, identities, and stories. Hello! Thanks for joining me for episode three of the podcast. If you're a returning listener, I appreciate you tuning in once again. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome. I hope you enjoy your time with my guest and me. This week's conversation is with Lisa Houston, a middle school English teacher, upper school drama teacher, middle school dean of students, and one of my colleagues here at the Pennington School in New Jersey. Lisa and I speak about the ways in which teaching provides a creative outlet for her and how it helps fulfill her desire to continue growing and learning. We also discuss what it's been like for her as a residential faculty member to raise her family on campus and to combine where she works with where she lives, and we talk about the importance of being attentive to the whole picture of the child. I so enjoy working with Lisa. She is wonderful and smart and funny, and I had a feeling that speaking with her would be a blast, and this conversation did not disappoint. As ever, I hope that you enjoy the conversation. If you haven't done so yet, please check out previous episodes and please rate and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Additionally, please check us out on Facebook, where you'll be able to get previews of future episodes and some behind-the-scenes snapshots of the folks involved with the podcast. And if you have feedback, or if you know of any educators that you think I should have on the podcast, please don't hesitate to email us at welcometotheteacherslounge at gmail.com. With that being said, here is my conversation with Lisa. Lisa Houston, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? I'm good. So just to start things off, um, I'd like to go back to your first day of school. Um, by that, I mean your first day as a teacher. Uh, I'd just like to hear about um, as much as you can remember from that day, either like particular details or the way that you felt or just general yeah, memories that you have of that first day of teaching. Okay. Um, I remember coming to Pennington on the first day and I was part-time. So I came in a little bit later than everyone else. So I arrived just in time for a community meeting or some kind of assembly in the gym. And I knew that they had not had a drama teacher ever. They had had people who had directed shows and they had had, um, you know, classes and things sporadically over the years, but they hadn't had a true drama teacher And so I was a little nervous about that and knew that this was a new program and that it could be different. So when I walked into the gym, I kind of sussed out what was happening. And I remember that really clearly because it was very obvious based on the way people were gathered in the gym who had the power at the school. Now, what do you mean by that? Like, how was it obvious? Um, You could see, like, which students had, like, agency and got attention from adults in both positive and negative ways and you could see like the hierarchy of the faculty like who is senior faculty who were the administrators and there was a large group of us that year who were new faculty I I was coming to the school at a time like the tail end of like not a good time at the school so there had been a lot of turnover and 
kind of a rough few years. Um, so it was just interesting because to be a drama teacher, you're kind of the only one usually at the school. So I knew I was coming into that. And then I also knew that I was coming into a place that was had a lot of athletic pride. So I just tried to suss out like who's the most important people in the room? Who do I need to make friends with? Um, so I made a lot of calculations that <laughs> had nothing to do with like what I was teaching or who I was teaching. Right. No, like nothing about like the students themselves. Yeah, really nothing like that. Um, I only had two classes at that time. I had a very large group of middle schoolers because I would teach the whole grade at the same time. So I had seventh graders to start and there were 20 eight boys and four girls something like that ratio um and they were pretty wild the boys so I remember that class really vividly maybe not the first day of school but I remember a lot of antics and things that they did but they were also really into theater so that's a benefit of teaching theater is that the majority of kids come into that room ready to do something fun yeah so you kind of already have them on your side Right, like there's a level of buy-in from the get-go. Yeah, and the older students that I had at that time were the kids who had really pushed the administration to hire me, so that was a really easy audience, and that was more of like an advanced acting class. Yeah. How did you feel like in general about like your first day or like the first week or whatever, like when you first started teaching? I think I felt okay. I mean, it was a long time ago. Right. It was a long time ago. Um, I think I felt okay about the teaching part. Like I knew how to run a basic theater class, like based on classes I had taken. I had done a lot of prep work and I knew like how to structure day to day. I knew a whole bunch of different projects I could do with this, the middle schoolers. Um, like I don't remember ever feeling uncertain about the subject matter or how to get that across to students I guess the problems for me in my first few days or months of teaching really came with like the personality of students the um like the aspect of theater that is very personal so hearing stories from students that were confidential or you know, a student revealing that they had really strong emotions that I would need to report to someone else or parents who weren't pleased with how I was running things or were questioning me because I was really young. So it was more of those types of negotiations or like negotiations over space. Like, why is she always using the lecture center? Like, right. no one had ever used that room before and or like be trying to negotiate with coaches about when kids could come to rehearsal. And you were probably doing that because you, it sounds like you were kind of making up like the theater program, like as you went along. Yes, totally. And they hadn't had something like that. Like they had done musicals and they had had some student generated plays in the few years before I came. Um, There had been a librarian football coach drama teacher who had a very long legacy of doing amazing things at Pennington, but he had retired about three or four years before I came. So there was kind of this weird lull and 
it was definitely like intrusive to have me on campus in a lot of people's eyes I think and I spent the first year like being extremely calculating about who I was aligned with and what I said in public and choices of shows and like who I became friends with there was a family on campus who loved theater was the head of the English department he had four children who went here his wife was in the Cervone Center like I aligned myself with that family because I knew they were friendly to the arts they had directed shows they had choreographed shows their children were in my shows like so I knew there were like people I needed to get on my side yeah and that's sort of how I spent my time and I think that's very different than just like a math teacher right 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 like I had a lot to negotiate that had nothing to do with like drama 101 or right seventh grade drama like that was the really easy part right actually. or like getting used to like oh wow like planning for a class is hard yeah like that part wasn't hard for me because i because when you're running a rehearsal that's kind of similar to lesson planning and i yeah. have been doing a lot of that so that wasn't that hard i i mean i used a lot of what i had been taught so over the years through my teaching I branched out. I learned new techniques. I, you know, it wasn't just what I had learned from people that I had done theater with, but I sought out other ways to get material across. But yeah, in the first year or two, I was like truly doing things that I had been taught the way I had been taught. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. I mean, I, there's kind of like this cliche that like the first year of teaching is always terrible and like it's always going to be difficult no matter what and nothing really prepares you for that but it sounds like you were actually fairly well prepared for like the classroom aspect of it and like teaching your subject I didn't really struggle with the classroom it was like the all the other things that come into being a drama teacher that like the school wasn't even like aware of or prepared for um that that was those were the things that really were like brought me to tears <laughs> right not, <laughs> right not coming up with lesson plans or the tears had to come from somewhere so yeah, i guess exactly. it's just as good that yeah. it was it was it came from there well i had a crazy life i would like come here in the morning teach two classes drive to princeton i was a nursery school teacher so i did like a five-hour stint in nursery school and then i would drive back here for rehearsal so it was like kind of a crazy life where I was just doing a lot of traveling back and forth and so it was different yeah that makes sense um when did you realize that you or when did you first realize that you wanted to be a teacher so on my wall in my house there's a little drawing from second grade that (laughs) says when I grow up I want to be a teacher oh my god (laughs) I will will teach the children how to spell words (laughs) and um so I think I just always kind of knew I would be a teacher because like uh, many people in my family are teachers and the people who aren't teachers are ministers so it was either going to be like ministry which wasn't really my thing right or teaching and I sort of resisted it like when the first year I was out of school I was like I'm not doing that I'm going to do theater I'm going to do something else or design um, because I had studied set design and so I really resisted like looking for teaching jobs or thinking that I was going to go in that direction but then it just became like way too obvious that that's what I should be doing so how did it become obvious I think because I was just miserable trying other things like 
I was sick of working with weird theater people. I was, <laughs> um, I worked in Princeton at an interior design firm that was just hellish and customer like there was no creativity in that it's all service and business and it just wasn't my thing and so when I saw the Pennington job posted it was like everything I was good at like working with children doing theater building a program with a variety of ages and it just felt like it was way way better opportunity for me than sticking with interior design or professional theater as a career yeah, that makes sense. What were you like as a uh, as a student? So as a student, I was a complete brown-nosing nerd. I was <laughs> very self-driven. I was a very high-performing student. I was um, very conscientious. Like, my mom was actually just telling my son last week that, like, when I got home from whatever I was doing at school. So if I came right home at 3 o'clock or if I came home at 6 from sports or a rehearsal or something I would immediately do all of my homework so that by like 7 30 at night all of my homework was done and so that I could watch tv and like go to bed really early because I was a complete nerd like so I was really into school like I loved learning but I also wanted to do everything right and I was very like attentive and very anal and I like was always on the teacher's good side and I took school like very seriously um, and I was like student council, like just like a cliche, like brown nosing high schooler. Yeah, I, th- I very much uh, identify with that. <laughs> I feel like I'm like the same way, which is interesting because sometimes, you know, when I talk with other people, sometimes I hear a version of that. And then other times it's like, no, I was like the worst student. Like it, everyone would have been surprised if they had heard that I went into teaching. But it sounds like for right. you, for most of your teachers, they were probably like, yeah, like that sounds about right for Lisa. Yeah. yeah. Were I you like that from like elementary through college or was there any sort of like shift that happened that went I along with like any sort of really, shift in your life? I was very shy as a child, like very shy as an elementary schooler. So I was very good in class and I always did the right things and I was creative and like had really neat handwriting and perfect <laughs> spelling and stuff. But, like, if I was scolded or a teacher raised their voice, I would cry. Like, I was very shy and, like, didn't want attention. Um, So I think some people who knew me then would be surprised to know that I became a drama teacher. Like, I don't think they would have saw that path. Yeah. Um, Because I'm not the classic actor. You know, I'm not somebody who acted a lot. I did do some acting, but... I came to theater more from design and directing rather than acting. So, you know, I think there's that. And that came to me late in life. Like, I really was only interested in theater the very end of high school into college. So it wasn't like a childhood passion. I mean, my parents took us to the theater. We saw a lot of theater, but, like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't my my goal to be in theater as a child but I think it was my goal to like be in school (laughs) right right forever yeah Yeah. literally forever so you mentioned that a big part of why you went into teaching or what made you realize that you wanted to go into teaching was that you didn't really feel like you had many things like that satisfied like the creative side of yourself Do, do you feel that like teaching drama and teaching theater and like directing on like the high school level does that 
Yeah, I do. And I actually think just teaching in general. So, you know, after 20 years of drama teaching, I started teaching an English class. And I feel like part of my belief as a teacher is that I should always be learning and I should always be like striving to do better and make things easier for my students and make them more accessible and be more interesting and more dynamic. So I feel like throughout my career, I haven't really, maybe when my kids were small and I just didn't have the energy to pursue like more knowledge and professional development, like those years might have been a little static for me, but just because I was putting my energy into raising children and keeping them alive. But <laughs> once they were kind of of school age themselves, like I really got back into like, what can I learn? How could I do this differently? What can I put new into the course? How can I tweak something? And definitely when I stepped into doing English teaching, like I've had to learn so much just to stay ahead of my students. I mean, yeah, half the time, like, people are teaching me grammar that I'm supposed to be teaching like in three days, you know, like, right. So I'm, I'm constantly striving myself. So yes, I feel like teaching gives me a creative outlet that I must have to live. Like I can't live without problem solving and tweaking things and coming up with creative solutions. And so theater has been a great outlet in that way and in some ways I felt like I was outgrowing it and that's why I wanted to step into administration and do some other things and in some ways the administration is really doing that for me also it's like constant problem solving visionary bringing a vision to life like here's an idea a germ of an idea like we want to bring it to fruition how do we do that who do we need on board who's the cast of characters like what are the materials we need? It's like exactly like doing theater. Yeah. It's an exact translation Interesting. of my skills. That's what I think. So. Yeah. I definitely want to talk later on about your experiences in transitioning to administration, like what, what that has tapped into for you. So we'll definitely come back to that. So you live on, on campus. Um, yes. You are a residential faculty. Um, yep. You live here with your husband who also teaches yes. here. Yep. And yep. Uh, with your children who are students here. Uh, yes. What is that? What has that been like? I mean, I know you don't in a way you probably haven't like you don't know anything else. But I'm I'm right. curious about like what it's like to have so much of your life be grounded in the place that you that you work and the place that you teach. It can be tiring. Like it can be really draining. It can um, also be great and like very supportive Um, it's nice that people know like, oh, it's show week. So they're going to be tired and stressed and everybody understands what that means to like our entire family. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like they know, oh, like her mother's selling her house. And so she's spending a lot of time packing up her mother's house and that must be hard. Like that's the benefit of being in such a tight knit community and everybody knowing. But then on the flip side of that, like when something goes wrong or, so last year, um, there was an incident with my son. So that was horrible. Like, it was just horrible to know that everyone knew our business, that everyone knew what had gone on, what did people think of us, like, what yeah. what did that mean in terms of, like, what we thought of the school or how the, you know, it was just... Like, you're like standing that, in the community also. That was, like, super tricky, but amazing because like that was maybe 
a thought in our heads for 10 hours or something and then like by the next morning it was like oh no this is awesome this is our community people love us people love our son even though he made a mistake it couldn't have been handled better by the school it was an amazing experience for my son to really mess up but also be supported like through the messiness and getting out onto the other side so you know even in the harder times like there's still like a good thing about it I don't know it's still it's still a community that I feel a lot of my peers from high school or college my friends from growing up do not have like even my friends in Maine like they just don't have this they don't have people who know them so well and can see you know see me walk across campus and know like I'm not feeling well or like she must be stressed or like that's amazing that's amazing to just have a sea of faces who know you so well yeah and like makes you feel seen and like recognized when right it's it's hard to feel that way sometimes like a lot of times actually when it's hard because i i I totally get what you were saying about like working like having to work through that situation with your son and like feeling like in some ways like you felt kind of stifled but in other ways like you felt like very like taken care of um because like I don't have any children of my own but I know that raising children is like a very like it's a very pressurized environment right and to also have like these other pressures weighing in when you're like navigating certain situations um or working through things when you feel like everyone's always watching and everyone's like not judging you but like assessing how you are handling the situation or something like that that's got to be hard and I also know for a fact that teaching is a very like high pressure environment um so to have to like navigate that as well like while also being thought of as like this child's parent or something like that like it's got to be just a lot to sort of juggle yeah i mean it definitely is and i think that um there's been times where we wished we could just leave (laughs) like there's been a lot of times where we're just like can we just leave now like this is horrible right but there's just been way more times where it's been supportive and i think that's kind of a testament to the school that totally you know people support each other here through most things so yeah We've been lucky to have a lot of good friends that we've had a lot of allies, that we've had mentors, we've had role models, we've had like younger people that we've kind of ushered along and brought up and, you know, and then just also seeing like what our students have gone on to do. Like that's very gratifying. That's a great example to our children. They've benefited from that. Um you know they think they can make livings in the arts like that's incredible i'm so proud of them that they think they can do that yeah and feel comfortable making that choice and they're very eloquent and confident and they can get along with really old people they can get along with babies they can you know empathize with people like yeah that's all from living here like i know other families do not have that with their teenagers and so we feel lucky to be here and have that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I want to go back to thinking about not just the classroom, but thinking about thinking about our students. Um, and I'm curious uh, as to what you think um, about the ways in which like we as educators 
fail our students or what does it look like when we when we fail our students um like what like you can think about that more like as like you as an educator or just like our education system you know in general um but yeah i'm curious like when you think we fail our students okay um i definitely fail my students when i am not on top of the feedback i'm giving them So whether that's like a lag in grading something or not checking something as regularly as I should be checking it, like a like a Google Doc or something that's supposed to be an ongoing kind of dialogue. um, Those are the moments where I feel like I'm failing a particular student because I I tend to serve people like myself, like students who are like myself really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the ones who are kind of a hot mess, like I'm not sure how to bring them along. Um, so that's how I definitely fail people is like by not giving constant attention to the people who really need it. Yeah. Um, I feel like the system. So what's interesting is that my dad was a public school administrator and in fact was the head of the American Association of School Administrators. So not only was he a public school administrator, but he was the head of all of them for like 15 years. Wow. And so when I first came to independent school, he was just like not having it. Like he was so surprised and thought it was crazy and why wasn't I in public education and like a lot of of questions from dad. Right. And um, I basically – just have come to learn that like America's education system is messed up. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's sad that more people don't have the opportunities to come to a place like where I teach. Um, You know, I don't think my two children were particularly well served in public elementary school and there are two very different types of students and they just were not served like neither of them. And but, like, if I didn't teach here, they wouldn't be going here. They would right. be going to public school. So I think, you know, I think the education system in America is gravely broken. I don't know how to fix it, but I know it's broken. Um, and I think that educators – I think that educators fail students when they aren't attentive to the whole picture of the child. Like, more and more, kids are busy. Kids are stressed. Kids have a lot of anxiety. Some of that is brought on by culture, by society, by their parents, by us here at school. Like, an overscheduled calendar. Yeah. Um, and I think the teachers who don't bother to understand the whole picture don't do well. Like, I – so, yeah. you know, if they don't understand that it's show week – for these kids or if they don't understand that somebody had a state championship game and they got back to the dorm at 11 p.m. You know, and they're, and that their assignment and their assessment and their thing is the most important thing in the child's life. Like, yeah. you're just kind of fooling yourself and you're not serving kids because, like, as I like to say to the kids, you're not going to remember, like, X problem on this problem set or the vocab word from 10th grade but you are going to remember the way someone treated you you are going to remember a show you were in you're going to remember a chant you did on the bus with your friends um 
You're going to remember someone smiling at you and like changing the course of your day. So I feel like that's where I like to spend my energy is like on the whole picture and not getting so caught up in like the essay. So like last week, my students had an essay. They were going to write the end of it in class with me on Friday. I was out sick. We started a unit where now I'm co-teaching with the history teacher. So guess what? That essay was never completed by my <laughs> students. So I could be hyper crazy and like think I'm so self-important that like my that leftover assignment now should trump whatever I'm doing with the history teacher. But I'm like, you know what? Water under the bridge. Like they'll yeah. write another conclusion of an essay one day and like. Right. I know they can do it, and so I'm just going to read the first four paragraphs of the essay and, like, adjust the rubric and not think that I'm so self-important. Yeah. But... Well, it's, it's, it sounds like you're talking about, like, thinking about ways in which you can create opportunities for experiences to happen in addition to, like, making sure that learning has happened and making sure that right. they're, you know, getting the content they need. But, yeah, saying, like, you are going to remember, like, the the vibe of this class or you're going to remember the experience of being in this show and you're going to and like making sure that you're allowing those experiences to happen and being very intentional about that those are like the educational jumping off points right so like if somebody remembers that the vibe of doing shakespeare in my eighth grade class was really fun yeah then they're gonna maybe read more shakespeare and then that might actually change the course of their life or you know be more significant than an eighth grade book they read but yeah like i want to at least plant the seeds of like loving to learn and feeling supported in the learning environment i think that's pretty crucial totally totally what what has your experience been like in adapting to your administrative role it's been interesting like i um i think people thought i would Well, it came to me in such a strange way. Like, I literally thought I was being fired. But they, (laughs) you know, like, they brought me in on, like, a Monday morning at 7.30 in the morning. Like, Friday. Like, could you please report to Dr. Hockey um, on Monday morning at 7.30? So I was like, what have I done? And and he's our headmaster. Yeah. So then he is now offering me an administrative job. You know, like, so it was just kind of out of the blue and odd and it was a very steep learning curve like I don't have a master's degree I don't have a master's in school administration or leadership everything I know about doing that I've just learned from being in a school yeah and um and maybe from watching my dad or other mentors so I had a lot to learn and I had to learn it like really quickly without a lot of help because like the middle school head position is such an isolated position at least at that time um so it was interesting covering that semester as the middle school head because it's a really isolated position um it was when it was when it had no dean of students connected to it didn't have class deans connected to it it was just like a one person show so i had to learn a lot I had to learn you know just the way conversations roll out and what different committees do and 
who to go to for certain things and and then plus like having to manage faculty members who like yesterday were my peers and now I'm like their leader and moving to a new space and making sure I was doing that correctly um so there was like a lot to learn but is I found it very exciting I found it very invigorating I still find it exciting um I find it challenging I was glad to be able to retain like my pseudo administrative status it is kind of nice not having to be like the buck stops with me that was a lot of pressure so I kind of appreciate that you know I'm kind of this like mid-level person because of your title yeah like just because I'm like nested under like higher level administrators like yeah that's kind of nice like I don't mind that where like if I get stuck with something or I'm stuck I could be like well what does the head of the middle school think or what does the dean of students think like you know the buck doesn't stop with me with everything and that's I like that I'm not I don't it was really hard to be the person who had to make decisions and not have a lot of resources yeah um so I know Todd appreciates having me so Todd's the head of middle school, having me as the dean of students, where now he has a sounding board of someone who really knows middle school right? that he didn't have before. So I think it's even easier and like for him to make decisions and set out, kind of roll out visionary plans, having someone who's like in the office with him who can bounce ideas. So have you found that there is an extra level of, mm, I don't know challenge or or something like that navigating your role as administrator uh also as a woman yes for sure um it's a very male dominated leadership situation here or maybe just in general in the world it Mm -hmm. is and that is interesting that's more on like a whole school level rather than like in middle school like i feel like in middle school, I have a I have a huge voice and I'm able to get things done and contribute in a way that I'm not sure women can always do on the upper level of administration. So it's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also like the delegation of tasks and work is very interesting to me. So it's just something I was actually telling my students today, yeah. like, you know, we all have a lens that we enter a room with, like what's you, it's interesting to think about what is your lens that you kind of walk into a situation with. And like, I went to Barnard, I went to women's college. So my lens is always like, I'm a woman. What is that? Like, what is that like in the room right now? Like, you know, how many other women are in the room? Like, I'm very attentive to, to that anyway. Well, and what you were saying about it, like there being issues, like that's not even a, that's not, you know, emblematic or reflective of like, even any particular issue at at our school. It it seems like it really is like an issue. Yeah. And the way that you're perceived by like other teachers, other administrators, students, parents. I mean, it it definitely plays a role and it's definitely a a problem from what I've gathered from my friends who are administrators and are also uh, women. Right. What is the best piece of advice that you've received as an educator or um you can think of it this way like what is something that you've 
like reminded you that you constantly have to remind yourself or something that you've taught yourself that has been really just valuable and that you would share with someone um, who's also going into education or just any other teacher? I guess two things like one of my personal precepts or like emblems or bumper stickers is you do you like you need to be loyal to yourself you need to like know yourself and know your skills and your strengths and your weaknesses and it's okay like as a teacher it's okay to say like I don't know or I don't know how to do that or you know, like today when we were setting up the podcast and I'm like, I don't think my computer is synced with my phone. Like, it's okay. Like, it's okay to say you don't <laughs> right. know how to do something and, and you should be true to yourself. Like, I'm not, uh, you know, I know I'm not good at helping a child who's like a complete disaster with doing homework. Like, I'm just not, I don't stay on top of them enough. I don't spend enough time with them. Like, so I know those students are not being served the best way by me like but I just I need to be me and I need I'm upfront about that so that's one thing that I like every day I have a little thing next to my desk that's like you do you like and it helps in situations with kids too like they're gonna do what they do right and I can't change it I can't like I need to understand it so I can help it move along maybe in a certain direction but like like, they're going to react the way they're going to react, and they're going to, you know, they're going to live their life experience, and I should be helping them live, like, their best life experience and not a picture of what I think it should be. Um, and then one of my mentors here, Jerry Russo, who was just a great colleague and role model to me and still is, but um, he sort of was the one who taught me, like, in my fifth or sixth year of, of teaching – and I was, like, feeling pretty stagnant and, like, what do I do now or where do I go from here? And he's, like, you just have to keep learning. So you need to figure out what is it that I could change for next year. Like, the school isn't going to change the title Drama 1, right? But what could I put into Drama 1 that's going to make it better for me and also better for the kids? Like, how did I do something this year that right. didn't – like fly or landed the wrong way or fell flat or the kids didn't get the concept like how can I tweak it or what do I need to learn like there was a time where I felt like I wasn't coaching people well with voice and speech so then I started doing a lot of professional development in voice and speech um you know I felt like there were certain technical areas that I was like holding on to like 15 year old pieces of knowledge and then I started going to like more technical workshops to try to get my technical jargon up to speed with the kids who I was sending off to college to do technical theater. So, you know, just a love of learning and trying to always, like, keep it fresh for myself because, in turn, that pays off for the students. Like, in Artorama, which I co-teach with the art teacher, like, we never do the project the same way twice. Like, every year we, we reevaluate and we say, like, who are the kids we have? what are they going to be good at? Like, what do we want to do? What do we want to try? You know, we already have our way of doing mass picked out for next year. Like we found this cool idea that we're going to try and like, yeah, you know, we are switching the puppet show this year to make it fit the kids we have now versus the kids we had last year. And, um, and I love that. Like, that's what teaching should be about. Like it should be like educating for everyone. Yeah. 
Well, it sounds like that's like the perfect combination, right? Because like you're recognizing like, you know, you do you, you are who you are. And like, that's never going to change, but also being proactive about like, what, what can you actually do? Like, what can you do to make the situation better? Like, what can you do to improve in like these actual, actually achievable ways? Um, And like, it's hard. It's hard to like probably balance those, those things out because it's probably very tempting to just be like, well, this is who I am. Like, I'm never going to be good at this. Or it's easy to be on the other extreme and say like, I need to change everything and I need to like make improvements in every single you know aspect possible right but, you but then need to you, like yeah you can get really bogged down and a student can get really bogged down in that way too like i mean i spent a good 15 years of teaching like every year one of my goals would be like i need to be more organized like every <laughs> single year yeah would be one of my professional goals and that yeah. was like in the world of paper and like memos and letters and like things in the mailbox And I was a disaster with paper. I'm a disaster with paper now, but I'm really organized in Google Drive. Like I having technology like advance, advanced like who I was as a person. Like I can stay on top of details differently. And so, you know, I like to think of like what system can we put into place for this particular person that's going to help them advance themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, We're not going to teach a kid who loses every paper to keep a notebook full of papers. That's that's not happening. Um, Like if someone's executive functioning skills with paper are incredibly low, like we're not going to really change that. But we need to find a system that's going to work for that kid. Yeah. It's a matter of recognizing the individual needs and the individual solutions that can address those. Right. Um, so as we move into the final the final stages here, um, I have a little challenge for you if you're up sure. for it. Okay, I'll do my great. best. Okay, I think you'll do wonderfully. Okay. Um, what I want you to do is describe your essence as a teacher, like essentially pitch yourself as a teacher, like what makes you, Lisa Houston, <laughs> okay. unique in the classroom or otherwise. Okay. Um, and I want you to do that in 30 seconds. So I have a clock here. Okay. Do you have any questions? I don't. I think I'm good. Okay, great. So okay. I'm putting 30 seconds on the <laughs> clock. And okay. uh, we're going to start in three, two, one, go. Okay, so a class with Lisa Houston at the helm is a classroom that is fun. There will be a lot of laughter. There will be a lot of manic energy. I don't like to keep the energy static for too long. So whether that is changing the activity, changing my voice, changing where I am in the room. It's always changing. One. Great. Awesome. It's doable, right? I think so. Great. Well, what I'd like you to do now is do that again. (laughs) But this time, do it in uh, 10 seconds. Okay. Okay, great. So 10 seconds on the clock. Okay. And in three, two, one, go. A classroom helmed by Lisa Houston is a classroom where the energy is always shifting. Very nice. (laughs) Uh, Great. And what I want you to do is capture your essence as a teacher in one single solitary word. mania (laughs) (laughs) okay look that that is that is what it is 
That sounds about right for me. I thought you were going to say energy, but well, mania. I do love energy. It's true. Yeah, but mania is it's like so a particular... cliche, but I feel like it is mania. Like yeah. the ideal would be the word energy, right. but the actual right thing is generally mania. Yeah, it's like a particular type of energy. Yeah. Yeah, that checks out. Okay. Great. Well, thanks so much for talking yeah. with me, Lisa. You thanks are, for having me on you the are podcast. A, a staple here at Pennington. That much is, is clear. You've put a lot of yourself uh, into this school. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm talking about you like you're like you're retiring. <laughs> <laughs> this is the re- retiree corner. I'm um, to the grave. Yes, but uh, no, but it's it's great, and I I love the way that you view education and the way that you talk about education and the the kids and you're balancing all these crazy roles and doing like a million a million different things and uh you do all of them well so it's great to great to talk to you thanks awesome well thanks again for being on the podcast and uh i will talk to you soon thanks my pleasure thank you once again to lisa for an engaging and enriching conversation This podcast was created and hosted by me, John LeMay. Our associate producer is the wonderful Emily Moeller. Our cover art is by the talented Katie Cooper. And our theme music is by Really From, whose incredible album, Verse, is available wherever you find your music. Once again, if you are enjoying the podcast, please rate us and leave us a quick review. And please check us out on Facebook. And if you know of a friend who would enjoy the podcast, please feel free to recommend it to them. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll join me next week for another episode featuring another teacher and another story.